Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be back. Um, for some of you, you, you won't have seen me before, but so hi. Um, what a preaching series you've had. When the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes, there's effective witness. Many people's lives are transformed. People get baptized in water, filled with the Spirit. Uh, they are formed in, into communities that care and pray. And as they pray, they see supernatural breakthrough. That's incredible. Today is the last one in the series, and when the Spirit comes, He brings increase. As He does that, as he, the Spirit changes people's lives and builds these new sorts of communities, then others are attracted and come to know Jesus as Savior. So, we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 and the first seven verses, and you'll notice in the first verse and the last verse of the reading, it mentions the word increase. That's the theme. And uh, you also notice that spirit-produced growth doesn't come without complications. It brings its own challenges and demands, and that's what we're going to think about, the challenges and demands of growth, of increase. So, Acts 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, yay, increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained. Oh, that doesn't sound so good. They complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Not good. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, those moaning minis need to be sorted out. <laughs> oh, Actually, they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Then they said, so they will just have to put up with, put up with, <coughs> excuse me, they didn't say that either. They said, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's a better idea of how to handle the problem. This proposal um, pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert of Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed for them and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So, three things right up front. The first thing is this thing about the Hebraic Jews and the Grecian Jews. That is, uh, many Jews, in fact, more, there were more Jews living outside of Palestine than lived in Palestine in Jesus' day. And those living outside of Palestine grew up in a Greek-speaking culture. They're the Grecian Jews. But, when they got to sort of retirement, they dreamed of being buried in Palestine, in the land of their fathers. So many of them would come back or for the first time to Palestine. But because, you know, men work harder, they die earlier. So there were lots of... I mean, because men are weaker, they die earlier. Um, and so there were many widows. And in their society, in, like most ancient societies, they're not a welfare state. Families look after you. But if you 
became a Christian, then lots of your support drifted away. And so the church family had to look after you. So that's why these two groups, the Hebrew Hebraic widows were those who had grown up in Palestine and Hebrew was their native tongue. So these people are the same religious background, they are the same race, but culturally they're a bit different. And that's important as we go forward. Somehow some of them got missed out in this charitable work of the church. Second thing to notice, as they worked through this challenge, it led, it seems, to a new breakthrough for the gospel. It says many priests now become the faith. Priests up to this point had been one of the hardest, most resistant groups to the gospel because it threatened their existence. If you say Jesus has done away with the temple and done away with sacrifices and you're a priest, you haven't got a job if you accept that. They were the most resistant. When they heard the message of the apostles, it raised questions. But when they saw, through the care of the widows, the transformed community that that message produced, it seems they were more open to the gospel. When a church like King's is involved in social action, we do this because we want to express God's compassion for the poor and the needy. But one of the things that God often does is he uses that ministry to the poor to speak to the powerful to answer some of their questions and to draw their attention and attract them to the gospel. It seems that's what Luke is implying here. They sought out the care of the widows and many priests then come to faith. The third thing to notice from the passage is that this verse, verse 7, the last verse of the reading, is um, a summary verse talking about increase. And Luke does that a number of times through the gospel. Because as he started the Uh, Luke. As he started Acts, what did he talk talk about? He reminded them that Jesus had said that they should stay in Jerusalem until they received power from the Holy Spirit and then they could be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was like the contents page of the book. And then through uh, the book of Acts, he gives these like summary statements every now and again about how the wave of the gospel had crashed upon the shores of different people groups and different geographical areas as the gospel spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So again and again we get a repeated phrase or concept of growth. So Acts 6 and verse 7, great many of priests become obedient of faith. Disciples increase greatly. In chapter 9 and verse 31 it talks about the church, it increased in numbers. Chapter 12, 24. But the word of God continued to advance and gain adherence. Chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew in numbers daily. Again and again and again, Luke stops every now and again and says, look, the church is increasing, is increasing, increasing. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. But if you want a quiet life, If you want church experience always to be comfortable, you don't want growth really. And you certainly don't want rapid growth and you don't want large growth because growth means change and change is challenging. And some of you can nod sagely and you know all about that. 
You could remember a day when there were only 200 people on a Sunday coming to King's and there was only one meeting. It seemed like we all worked hard back then. But it seems like quite comfortable now. Some of you can remember, even before that time, there wasn't an auditorium here. There was another building. I think it was a hall of some sort. The rumors have it that I heard that it was a bit cold and damp and not the best place to meet in. But some weekday mornings, a few would gather and they would pray this prayer. Lord, this year, let there be one baptism this year. Can you give us a baptism? We haven't seen a baptism. Can we have a baptism this year? How we've grown. But that growth has not come without huge changes and challenges and demands. But I want to put that in perspective because um, you think you've, if you've been here a long time, you think you've seen a lot of change, seen a lot of growth. The church in Jerusalem grew one, in one day from 120 to 3,000. And then continued to grow rapidly. So in chapter 2 it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. In Acts 4 it says, But many who heard the message believed, and the number grew to 5,000 men. That's a community of at least 10,000, probably nearing 15,000 or more. Kings, you're a bit of a small church. But you have potential, okay? You have potential. This message is not, so you all take a sigh of relief and say, well, we have grown and that's great. It's to say that what you've seen is only the beginning of what God wants to do through you. But to be used by God in a bigger way, you'll have to cope again with the challenge of change and the demands it brings. And this passage speaks to some of those. So the challenge of growth. Um, Growth doesn't bring problems in itself, but it exacerbates uh, issues already existing. So in this Jerusalem church, you had the differences between the Grecian widows and their community and the uh, Hebrew widows. And that somehow the Greek-speaking ones were missing out. We're not clear why, but we all do know that different cultures communicate differently. So how many of you are a bit fed up with white Brits because they never say what they really think? Have you ever found that? They sort of might raise an eyebrow at something. And think, oh, that, that means they're really seriously disturbed. Or they might say, I quite like that, when they're ecstatically happy about something. Because white Brits tend to do it that way. That's the way they communicate. I'm quite a master at that. I'm always dancing in worship, but only on the inside. My biggest experience of this sort of cult, difference in the way cultures communicate was teaching Russian pastors in Moscow. There were about 90. We're going through the book of Romans. Gets to the Q&A time, and it's all being done through an interpreter. So one of the pastors gets up here, and it didn't feel like a question. It felt like verbal abuse. He's pointing his finger, he's shouting. Oh, I thought he was shouting. But before I could get the interpretation, another pastor over here gets up, and starts pointing at this pastor, and the volume increases, and I think someone's going to take someone outside, and they're going to sort this out. And I think others seem to be joining in too. Is this going to be a riot any moment? Eventually I say to the interpreter, come on, what's happening? I say, that's fine. They're having a good discussion. (laughs) How was I to know? I'm a Brit. We don't do that sort of thing. 
Maybe something like that was happening here, that the Grecian culture, these Grecian Jews, didn't know how to communicate so the Hebraic folk could understand that there was a serious problem and it took a while for the message to get through, but it gets there in the end. Growth did not cause the problem, but rapid growth exacerbates issues that are there. If kings are going to grow rapidly, there is no way of avoiding issues like this. The question is, can you resolve them? Can you work through them? Can be enough grace in the place to allow growth to continue? No growth is the easy option, really. Years ago, when I was one of the pastors here, uh, the building had just been extended. I think that year the church grew in attendance by about 20%. So we were very encouraged by that. But even by that stage, realized that it was, the auditorium was too small, and we were thinking about going to two meetings. A big step. Two meetings. And a friend of the church, a, a man called Steve Nicholson, who's a wise, spirit-filled, prophetic sort of leader, with much experience in church growth, um, was sharing with the, the leaders. And we were telling him all that was happening. We were very encouraged by the growth in numbers. And we said, we've got plans. He said, because you're under pressure, aren't you? We said, yeah, we've got plans. In January, and he's with us about May, in January going to two meetings. He just sort of shook his head. He said, Steve, do you think that's not a good idea? He shook his head. Do you think we should do it a bit earlier? We said, yeah. Why should we do it earlier? He said, you've got pressure points, haven't you? What do you mean? He said, well... From what you've said, you said that lots of things indicate this, but just one. How often in the last six months have you had to close creche on a Sunday morning because you didn't have enough volunteers? Oh, he said, well, it happens a few times. And, uh, and, and folk understand it's not the best. We want to sort it. But he said, yeah, your folk know that. People who are fully members of Kings, they would understand that. And you know, some of them are going to volunteer. And you're going to sort it out in time. He said, but a person who comes with their baby first day to Kings goes to the creche door, and there's a note saying, creche is not operating today. They feel, there's not a space for me here. There's too many people here already. And I'm not sure they really care about babies, because otherwise they would have sorted this. So we said, oh, so we'll, we'll lose that person. We probably lost a person. No, you haven't lost the person. You've lost the 10 people that that person might bring. And I thought you cared about lost people. Well, he didn't say that, but that was a thought that went through our head. So, no, so, so January's not right. How about November? No, November didn't seem to be a good answer. So we said to him, you know, we've got to get 100 new serving positions fulfilled to do this. You're not asking us to do this in, Jan, uh, in the first day of September, are you? He said, no, you can wait to the second Sunday in September. And as you know, the senior pastor goes away for quite a bit of the summer. We don't see him. So he's not helping. The rest of the team had to pull that off. But we felt that was God's prompt to us because God cares about people. And before people can fully hear the message, they often have to marinate in the message. It's not going to be a one Sunday that turns their life around. They need to hear it a number of times, but also they need to see the message lived out in a community of people. Because that makes it credible. And before people become family, they have to become friends. 
And when they come to church, it must feel like home because there's a space for them and there's care for them. And their child can go into creation and be well cared for and their kids can go to the kids' work and be well cared for. Change brought that challenge. We had to do it much faster than we planned. And you know, we did the change and then the church leapt again in growth. You have to, Steve said this, he said, the growth that you're experiencing is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. It's not, you don't deserve it, you haven't earned it, it is God's blessing. It's a wave of his spirit. And there are two things you can do with a wave of his spirit. You can learn to ride it, or you can miss it. You can learn to ride it, or you can miss it. Many churches miss it. Because learning to ride is difficult. It involves change. Most people need to become friends before they become family. Before they become friends, they need to feel that the place like home for them. Not being open to change is a way of quenching the spirit, of grieving the spirit, of opting out of God's mission. We don't want to be those sort of people, do we? So what are some of the challenges? Well, let me just list a couple from the passage. One, you have to learn to be responsive and not reactive. Responsive and not reactive. Um, how, how are you when you get complaints about something you're responsible for? Yeah. Isn't it difficult? It's, impo- it's important when you're challenged to find something in the Bible that would help you cope with the change, the challenge, isn't it? So where in the Bible could you go? You've got complainers... Our women are being left out. Our widows are not getting their fair share. Well, you could go to Moses in the wilderness, couldn't you? Because there were people that moaned in the wilderness. They didn't get enough manna. Or they didn't have enough water. They wanted cucumber sandwiches from Egypt. And you could go. You know what happened to them. Well, the earth opened up and swallowed some of them. Some of them got leprosy. And most of them wandered around for 40 years. So someone complains to you and you can go... Well, you're just like those people. Watch out. You could do that. Or you could think about another situation that happened at the same time in Israel's history where Moses' father-in-law came to him and said, Son-in-law, you're wearing yourself out and you're wearing the people out because everything comes to you and you need to find some extra leaders to help. And that's what he did. You know, that's what the apostles went to. They went to that story, not to the other story. But I have to say, when I get complaints, there's a bit of me that reacts like the first story. Has that ever happened to you? You need to, the first story is, well, if you apply it to us, it's about being reactive. The second story tells us to be responsive. Because when people are upset about something, they don't usually say it the best way. Have you found that? When you're upset, when something goes wrong for you, you don't always put it in the best terms, do you? Which might be something else to think about. In a growing church, especially when it grows rapidly, there'll be things that don't work right first time. They might take a while to sort. If you're aware of those gaps, it's okay to share. There's a gap here. We need to do something better than this. But how you share is really important. And here, 
There's another story. In Acts, there's a man called Barnabas who sells a field and gives the money to the apostles. And it says, Barnabas gave the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That meant he said, here's the money. You do what you think is best with it. I think that's a good model of how you give concerns or complaints to leaders. You lay it at their feet. You don't shove it down their throats. You say, look, here's the concern. Here's the situation. Here are the facts. So here's the facts. Some people can't get their babies into creche. This needs to change, doesn't it? And it, this is what it makes me feel when my child can't get there, and I'm willing to help, but this is how it makes me feel. You don't go, you don't care about babies. You don't attribute m- bad motives to people. You talk about the facts and your feelings and give people a chance to try and sort the problem. Hello? Make sense? Be responsive and not reactive. Be flexible. Growing situations require lots of flexibility because there's lots of change. Um, In a church where I was the only pastor in a little Baptist church, uh, we had a situation where we didn't have many visitors. But one day there was a new visitor and um, they came early like visitors often do and they sat in Marge's row. And when Marge came, the whole church was aware of the drama that was about to unfold. As she walked down the aisle and would have liked to have reenacted a modern version of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, who is sitting in my chair? Actually, as far as I remember it, she didn't say those words. But she and her friends sat in the row behind. And her friends helped her with her discomfort and distress and grief about not being able to sit in her pew. Uh, She shared and they comforted with great passion and quite a lot of volume. So the visitor was quite aware that he had tripped over this really grievous thing that he had done. March found it difficult to be flexible. We can laugh when it's somebody else, can't we? But growth requires all of us to be flexible, to change things, to sort things out. The leaders here had to give away responsibility, which always sounds like a good idea until you have to give away things that you're involved in that you like, the things that give you positive feedback. But sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes if you're a group leader and you're needed and got the gifts to sort of oversee groups, you have to give up some of the personal contact you have with some people to go and do that. It's like that's costly. If you're a senior leader in the church and the church grows like kings, you can feel very distant from most people. It's much easier when it's smaller. When the church started, there were 120 people. They needed a new apostle. And they went, oh, it needs to be someone who's knew Jesus during his earthly ministry and saw him resurrected. And they went, 120. There's two possibilities. They knew all of them. It's easy to know 120 people. It's difficult to know 1,000, 200, 1,500 people. And... So you have to give away. They had a new process. The apostles didn't appoint these people in terms of they found them. They went to the people and said, we need some people. We need seven of them, okay? And they will be filled with the Spirit and full of wisdom. Go find them. And somehow, other people found them and brought these people to the apostles to confirm. It was a new way. They hadn't done it that way before. It was a new way of appointing leaders. It was putting in new... um, New processes, new people, giving up responsibilities. If you're going to be effective and grow, you have to do things like that. 
And one of the biggest challenges is for leaders who get to their capacity and things change. So in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it talks about leaders who are leaders over thousands and leaders over hundreds and leaders over ten. If you're someone with the gift of leading tens but not hundreds, as the church grows, it feels like you're moving from the center to the edge. If you're a leader who can, is a leader of hundreds but not of thousands, as it gets to thousands, you can feel like you're moving to the edge. It is not that you are unimportant. It means that you are very gifted in that size of group. And we all have our capacity. But it is a painful thing when the situation changes and your place in the team changes. But if you want the team to win, if you want the team to be effective, sometimes you have to do that. In the group of people I'm training at the moment, some of them are church planters. And some people are brilliant at church planting, but they're not good at growing a church from more than 100. And really what they need to do is when it gets to 100, go and plant another church. That's what the wise and the best of them do. But you can get stuck thinking, well, I grow this church to 100. I mean, I don't want to start all over again. Because I don't want to do that. I want to be in a church of 500. It might be that your gift, your critical contribution to the growing kingdom of God is to go and start again. You have to be flexible. We all have to be flexible. If the church at King's is going to grow, continue to grow, things will change, and they will change for you. The challenge and demand of growth is flexibility. And you have to get your priorities right, and that's the next thing. The apostles could have said, problem with the widows needs to be sorted, and we'll give all our attention, we'll sort that. But then they would have had to give up their focus on prayer and ministry of the word. Wisely, they knew, although it was important to sort out that problem, it wasn't important for them to do it. It was important for someone to do it. And their priority was prayer and the ministry of the word. It's critical in a changing situation to keep your priorities right, and it's difficult when things change so how about your own personal walk with god your own spiritual disciplines how do you do that some people get up early some people do it just before they go to sleep Um, some people do it walking in the countryside some people do it on the train listening to downloads and singing quietly under their breath but we all can find a pattern that works for us for a season and then things change you know you might be a young married couple and you've got no kids and you, you know, every day you, you pray together and you read the Bible together and you have lots of time together and then babies come and it's like, oh, that doesn't work anymore. The trouble with the change, the challenge of the change is to work out a new way of making the word and prayer a priority in your life. Because what's true of the apostles is true of an individual. For the church, your leaders have to have a priority on prayer and the word and work out how that fits But in in every individual life, prayer and the word needs to be up front and central. Otherwise, you can have a large organization and call it a church, but it will be spiritually ineffective. You could be, as an individual, serving on every road there is and have very little spiritual impact and very little joy in the Lord because prayer and the word are not critical to you. That's why I'm delighted that Andrew Wilson's coming to be your teaching pastor. I think you've survived very well without a teaching pastor for two years. I don't quite know how you did that, 
But Andrew's job is not just to be the person of the word. His job is to inspire, encourage, equip all of you to keep the ministry of the word up front and central. Otherwise, you will be an empty shell. It might be a large empty shell. But it will not be filled with the glory of God. Because prayer and the word has to be central. And then there's another point here just about delegation. These people had to delegate away, didn't they? The apostles needed to delegate to people. Um, Just a couple of things here. They delegated to these seven that were found. They were known by the people and they were godly. They were spirit-filled and they were full of wisdom. They were gifted for the task. You need wisdom if you're going to distribute these funds and these resources to the widows to decide how much to give to who. That you need wisdom. When you are appointing someone to a task, they need to be godly, they need to be gifted for the task. Sometimes under the pressure of change and growth, people go and they appoint gifted people, but not godly people. That is disaster. But you can do it the other way around. You appoint godly people who are not gifted for that task, and that's ineffectual. As leaders are appointed, pray that they be godly and stay godly. And pray that the people with the right gifts get put in the right slots because that's what needs to happen. Finally, I know, it happens to me sometimes, when people talk about increase, when they talk about numbers, you can get a feeling, well, it's all about numbers. It's just about numbers. But numbers are people. And people matter to God. God is concerned with numbers. He not only knows the number of people alive on planet Earth today, he knows the number of the hairs on their head. He knows numbers. And when he gave his first command, he said, be fruitful and multiply. That's about numbers. When he gave a promise to Abraham, he said, your descendants will grow in number till they are like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's big numbers. When he gives us a vision of heaven, it talks about countless numbers from every tribe, nation, and tongue. God is concerned about numbers because numbers are people. You have not locked eyes with someone that is not important to God. You haven't stood in the queue next to someone that God doesn't care about. You've not been on the bus next to somebody who God's not interested in. God is interested in everyone, therefore he's interested in numbers. He wants them all to hear. He would like them all to respond. And he uses us to reach those people. So here's the thing. That vision that we get at the end of the Bible, people from every tribe, nation and tongue, countless numbers, is going to happen. I have to tell you, it's not all dependent on you. It's going to happen. God's going to make it happen. The only choice is, are we going to be a participant or are we going to be spectators? Is God going to do it without us or with us? He wants to do it with us because there's no greater thrill than being working with God in his great mission into the world. But you can choose just to be a participant or a spectator. And many Christians stand and applaud what God is doing but are not involved in what God is doing. And today is a call for you to renew your pledge, that you will play your part, whatever it means, however flexible you have to be, 
However uh, willing to change you have to be, you want to be part of this great adventure with God. Let me remind you of the vision that's given in Revelation. And John said, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every Nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One day that will be fulfilled. God calls you to be a participant and not a spectator. And for some, it could be for some, you won't be a participant yet at all because you haven't committed your life to his leadership. You haven't asked for the forgiveness of your sins. God passionately cares for you. He wants you to be involved. He wants you part of the family. He wants you to be in heaven. Don't be a spectator. Be a participant. 